and welcome back to the Brotless podcast. As usual, I am joined with Nathan, and in this episode, we unfortunately have to talk about the end of what has been a magnificent winning run. Of course, we have one win to talk about, but we also have yesterday's defeat to discuss. Nathan, look, we've joked about it for many weeks now that the the winning run was going to stretch until we were crowned champions at the end of the season. Unfortunately, there's been a slight uh, dint in the road and that isn't going to be happening. Um, but nonetheless, at the stage we were after Sheffield Wednesday, the last few weeks have just been an absolute joyous ride. So this podcast isn't going to be one of those absolute negative fests of just complaining and near sort of tear experiences I guess is what we saw earlier on this season so I think let's not get too negative um but Nathan how uh, how are you feeling after we were brought down back down to earth yesterday a little bit yeah I'm, I'm not feeling too bad actually um obviously you, you can't really complain too much um, six league wins in a row, seven in all competitions. Um, and yeah, it came to a halt yesterday. Um, there's various reasons that can be put forward to why that was why that did happen, but yeah, it's been a good run, and yeah, this one's come to an end. So hopefully, we'll be uh stringing another one together soon enough. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully the end of this one is just the beginning of another new one, which stretches even longer. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? Um, Again, Nathan, no Rudd's update for this week's podcast. Um, Unfortunately, for those that might have taken an interest in Nathan's uh, new Sunday league team, um, I'm sure if there's a game next weekend, although at the moment I don't think weather permitting, we're going to have a Rudd's update for a while because I'm guessing the pitches across Teesside have just been destroyed because of the rain. Yeah, I mean this this weekend's game was called off on Thursday afternoon. Yeah, Sunday. So it's yeah, it's 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 probably gonna um be one of them things, I think, uh at, at times during the next few months with the dark nights drawing in, the horrible weather, frozen pitches and the constant rain that's been battering the full country. So yeah, um bit of a shame but yeah um it, it gives me time to uh go out on saturdays and celebrate borough wins i suppose well i mean you went out last night and didn't really have much to celebrate to be honest but i mean at least you had didn't have to wake up and fill in in defense with a bit of a sore head this morning yeah yeah it is a it is a bonus not having to do that but yeah i, I kind of wish that i did have the opportunity to play just to uh relieve a little bit of stress based on yesterday's game. Yeah, do you know what, actually, just thinking of you going out um, last night, I, I, I'm not aware fully, but I, I don't think you were sort of out in a costume or anything last night. Obviously, we're getting close to Halloween now. Um, you may have not been out in a costume last night, but just, obviously, it's a Borough-based podcast. We aren't just going to delve into the depths of your social life, Nathan. But... Um, I'm just going to throw three Middlesbrough players at you and I want you to tell me uh, what you think they would dress up as for Halloween. Right, yeah. So, firstly, um, I'm going to go Lucas Engel. 
Right. Second, I'm going to go the big tree. I mean, I guess there could be a costume within that, I suppose. That might be a bit of an easy one. Um, and then also Emmanuel Latte Laugh. Right. First of all, Lucas Engel, I don't know what it is, but he looks suspiciously like someone out of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't quite remember who. That conclusion, really, but yeah, all right. But yeah, someone from the Wizard of Oz, Lucas Engel. Um, I suppose you could, you could have said Riley McGree as the Wizard of Oz as well. Um, but there you go. Uh, the tree. I'm going to be a cop out. I think he's a big orc. I really. Yeah. Do. Um, and Emmanuel Latte laugh. Don't know. I think. He's probably the Flash, I think. Yeah. Um, based off, well, I mean, we all saw the the Cardiff goal. It was uh, quite frightening to see. You you blinked and he went from the halfway line to the six yard box. So yeah, the Flash, Emmanuel Ayala. Yeah, good answers to be honest. Um, in terms of the Wizard of Oz, can you? I mean, I don't know when the last time you watched it was, but Engel, we're we talking. Sort of the Wicked Witch or the Lion or Dorothy, maybe. Uh, we'll go with the Tin Man. Yeah, I think it's a a little bit um a little bit rogue, and Lucas Engel was a bit of a rogue signing. So yeah, yeah. No, do you know what? I can I can actually see the sort of analysis behind that and why you've gone. <laughs> Obviously, the type of analysis that people tune into a football podcast for, Nathan. Um. Yeah, the the tree answer was a little bit of a cop out, but given given the Wizard of Oz and the Latte Laugh answer, I'll let you off for them too. Uh, we should probably talk about football now because this isn't a Halloween podcast. Obviously, Norwich on Tuesday night, Nathan. Before we sort of go into the game, I guess we can tie the sort of pre Norwich team news and the growing injury list into a whole topic in itself, really, because at the moment. Seemingly out of nowhere, really, the injury list has grown. And I think from Michael Carrick's pre-Norwich press conference, the sort of severity of the injury list has also been made to be quite apparent, I guess. There's obviously been, I think Tommy Smith actually announced after the Norwich game that his season was over. But even at the time, I think we all kind of knew it was going to be a, a bit of a lengthy injury. Uh, obviously, he wasn't in the squad either for the Norwich game. I mean, you look at the injury list now. I'll reel off. This was pre- this was post Norwich. Riley McGree still out with a foot injury. There's no time scale on that one. Tommy Smith is out for the season now. Daryl Lenahan Achilles still no time frame on that, but it isn't sounding too great. Marcus Force with a thigh injury. I think that's Carrick said it wasn't basically looking too clever at the moment, but that might be a couple of weeks. Lewis O'Brien's obviously fairly long-term as well. Latilath missed the Norwich game through illness, obviously come back into the squad for, for yesterday's game. And of course, Hayden Hackney was suspended yesterday. But after not really sort of covering it in the last few weeks, it hasn't really been too much of a talking point, I guess because we've been winning games and everyone's had their minds elsewhere. It's become a bit of a growing problem and actually 
when you sort of sit back, you, you you look at that list and you could well make an argument that actually we've got three or four almost nailed on starters in that list who have now been missing for, for quite a few games. And as we'll get on to from yesterday's game, perhaps now starting to become apparent how big of a miss some of those players are to the squad. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think... Obviously, we had McGree, Lenahan, and O'Brien missing prior to Birmingham, but since that game uh, last weekend, it, it's it's grown massively. Of course, with Smith going off with that rather innocuous uh, injury that was off the ball, um, you could sort of tell that that was serious. The way that he was, the way that he went down at the time. Um, obviously, Marcus Force came on in that game as his replacement has now picked up a thigh injury in training and out for a couple of weeks, which is unfortunate, a player in it, in attacking areas that you're losing. Of course, suspensions can build up. Um, and obviously, we haven't got on to the Norwich game, but Hayden Hackney picked up a yellow card for seemingly not knowing that he was going to be substituted in that game, um, which made him miss yesterday's defeat to Stoke. Um and yeah, illness, of course, I think it's that it's just that time of year. Of course, Daryl Lenahan was out with it a few weeks ago, um, among a few others. I think Vandenberg had illness as well. But yeah, it, it's one of them things that, that, that will possibly impact the squad uh, in the winter months. So yeah, look, it, it's difficult uh, to manage. But I think Carrick deals with it quite well in the way that he doesn't make excuses. He understands that it's just part of the game. It's part and parcel of things. And you have to find solutions to to injuries. And yeah, look, yesterday we, we didn't quite find that solution. Um, but I'm sure that it'll be a, a little bit of a learning curve yesterday, particularly. Um with a, a limited squad to pick from, um, how how we're going to go forward with things should there be certain players missing from the squad again. But yeah, Tommy Smith especially, um, it, it's going to be a massive miss. That's the most serious injury that we've that we've heard from uh, in the last week, and yeah, it's a real shame as well. Um, and for me, it's it's a position where you don't want to lose a player because although at right back, we have three options at the start of the season, Tommy Smith, Anthony Dykesteel, Rav Vandenberg can cover in there. Tommy Smith's probably the most durable out of all three, really. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen Vandenberg come in and out of the side for, it, it, it's almost as if he plays two games and then he's out for one with, well, for one reason or another, whether that's illness, he had a hand injury, I think he did his hamstring as well. And then obviously Anthony Dykesteel, we've seen over the years that he can be out for three to four months at a time just with things that are picked up in training. So, yeah, luckily we have both of those players back at this current moment in time. But, yeah, I think um, although it is one of those things where injuries can just come up and you, you don't want to make excuses... Carrick will be holding everything crossed that uh, those players can be a little bit more durable uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think what's interesting <coughs> to mention those two right-backs there, I guess 
really Vandenberg was wasn't brought into play there anyway. I, I think Carrick said before I can't remember what friendly it was now, but before one of the preseason friendlies where pretty much just through lack of numbers he, he was put there as a bit of a test. Vandenberg hadn't played as a right back for his full career. He's always played as a centre back and fortunately with the way that we play, obviously the sort of uh, the right back coming inside and almost forming like a, th- a third centre back, it suits his game a little bit. Probably not in the same mould as an Anthony Dykesteel, who's more you know a, a traditional right back. But yeah, it's uh, it's a huge blow, Tommy Smith. He's been he's come under some criticism over his time, but I mean more or less. 90% of his performance in a Middlesbrough shirt, uh, six or seven out of 10, he's, he's Mr. Reliable, isn't he? Um, so important, not just for his ability as a defender, but in terms of his leadership, his experience. We saw prime example away at Sunderland. He's pulling Isaiah Jones and Hayden Hackney away from the supporters to just try and basically calm them down, keep them level-headed, make sure that we don't go and do anything rash in the game. And sometimes that can be underestimated. We spoke about it in the podcast last season. When you are under the cosh and Tommy Smith, who doesn't necessarily have a knock, goes down and holds his boot and kills a bit of time and kills a bit of momentum, those little bits of sort of nous and and streetwise thinking sometimes go under the radar as to how important they are. So even that is just going to be a huge miss. And obviously... Yeah, the his age as well. It's it's a massive blow because I don't think, of course, it's not going to end his career. But at his age, a whole season out of football is is definitely not going to help him at all. So, yeah, a real shame on that. And obviously, we we both wish that Tommy Smith's back as soon as possible, even if he can make himself available for the last few games of the season. Um, but yeah, obviously, we probably go into the the injury list and sort of how it's affected the rhythm of the team and perhaps it's it's bearing on yesterday's result a little bit later on in the podcast but obviously going into Norwich now Tuesday night we'd spoken about how perhaps it might have been a good time to play Norwich after some of their recent results obviously pressure has grown on David uh, Wagner the Norwich fans aren't too impressed at all really at the moment after what was a great start of the season from them? They've really hit a bit of a bad spell of form. Obviously, Ashley Barnes and Josh Sargent have been ruled out for quite a significant amount of time, both of them, and that's really killed their early season momentum. Going into the game, a few changes, a little bit of rotation. I think there was a quite a surprise that Dan Barlas had come out of the team for um, Johnny Housen, of course, going back to his one of his old teams. Um, of course, as we say, Tommy Smith was out of the team and, and therefore Ralph Vandenberg deputised for him. And then, um, you know, the, the forward positions, again, I think we spoke about in the previous podcast, we were fully expecting Lyle Aft to come into the team and, of course, he missed the game through illness. So, in regards to the team, possibly Josh Corbin may have, have dropped out, but that wasn't the case. And actually... As a whole, I felt that we almost completed what is the sort of perfect championship away performance in a way. Yeah, of course you 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 play you play in a way at a side where 
I think it was it was always built up in the in the commentary and in the press prior to the game that whoever gets the first goal in the game, it, it'll impact the crowd and the atmosphere. If Norwich get it, the crowd will be on their side. And if Middlesbrough get it, the crowd will quickly turn and it'll kill any sort of atmosphere. And that was the case, but in the early stages of the game, I thought that Middlesbrough started the game really, really slowly. Um, I thought that Norwich were much the better side in the first 15 minutes or so before Borough started to grow into the game, getting into the rhythm a little bit more, playing out from the back. And yeah, look, in the first half, there wasn't too many chances for either side. The The best sort of efforts were, were Middlesbrough's um, Engel had an effort that was just over the bar and Hayden Hackney robbed Sauer on the edge of his on the edge of his box, strided in uh, the 18-yard box and fired a shot off that was I felt was probably going wide. Um but Duffy got in the way of that one. But yeah, look, it was a, a strange first half in the sense of Middlesbrough started slowly but grew into it. And obviously you're coming out from the second half and you just think if we can get an early goal, that'd be perfect. And I mean, I didn't quite expect it to be as early as it was. Uh, one minute into the second half, um, Borough Rob Norwich a possession, stepped forward very quickly. Corburn's played in, strides inside, lays it off, Greenwood one, uh, on one touch, just side foots it over George Long, off Duffy and uh, into the back of the net. And I think that both of us discussed after the game that once once we went 1-0 up, it it just felt like we were never really going to lose the game, even, yeah. even after Norwich had a couple of chances. It, it, it just felt very, very comfortable um, because we got that first goal and yeah, it was it was a well taken finish by Greenwood. Um, does well to to break with the play, and yeah, it gave us the perfect start after the second half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've spoken about how many times on this podcast how badly we started going into a second half, and I mean, fortunately in this case, for what feels like the first time in I don't know how long we've we've come out the traps and got a goal, which is almost unheard of. Um, but yeah, as you say, uh, a really sort of good counter-attack in the sense that we win the ball high and then because of how high we are and how many bodies we've managed to sort of push up along with the the press, it enables us to basically just punish them as, as quickly as they can sort of retreat, really. And uh, yeah, as you say, Josh Corbin does well, comes inside lays it off to Greenwood and uh, yeah, it was an interesting one in the sense that, you know, sometimes we, we spoke last week about sort of stats and how you can look at games through your eyes and how you can look at percentages and things. And uh, it is a really interesting discussion. It, it's not as having a dig. It's just in certain games, if you've watched that amount of football, I'm sure people can relate who are listening to this podcast. You can sometimes, there's almost a feel of a game where you can't sort of, use stats to describe the emotion or the way that something's going on. Of course, you've got to expect the unexpected, but 
there was a weird feeling, at least that me and you both discussed and agreed on, that once we got that first goal, it just felt like, I can't really see us sort of throwing this away here. Um, obviously, um, Nunes hits the bar for Norwich. And even at that stage where usually you're biting your nails and you think, oh my God, they've grown into this and it's just going to be a case of, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at it and we'll maybe have a typical Borough moment where we concede last kick of the game, throw points away. I just never really felt like that. And I don't know if it was the sort of atmosphere of Carroll Road and how despondent they seem at the moment, how upset they are with their manager and the way things are going at that club. They just didn't even really seem to get behind their team. There was a couple of balls into the box. Ben Gibson had a header, which was a half chance. And even then, it just felt like Carroll Road was almost accepting of what was happening. They were sort of happy to basically not concede more. I, I don't know if that was the previous result against Leeds, where they'd gone ahead and then thrown that away, or if they just literally have no confidence in their team at the moment. But as I say, there was just that strange feeling that as long as we get the opener here, I've got no real questions that we'll go on and take all three points. And although we had to wait until quite late on in the second half and, and get that second all-important goal, which proves to be the winner in fairness, it even then it, it felt like one goal was going to be enough, strangely enough. It, it probably seems strange even listening back now, but as I say, it was more just a feeling that we discussed that Middlesbrough just felt comfortable and it wasn't so much that, listen, we defended okay, but Norwich just didn't really, I mean, I watched that game and I, I don't know what Norwich's play style is really. They just sort of try and get it to Johnny Rowe and hope for the best really. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, um, you, you, you sort of hear a lot of, Championship sort of pundits and, and and podcasts talk about Norwich and they're sort of in the same boat as us um, in a way where they say they've got two half decent players in in Sarah and Rowe and if if neither of those perform then they they they're a pretty drab side to watch really and I, I I've seen Sarah three times now and I, I failed to be impressed really um, failed to see the hype uh, against us. Perhaps that sort of shows us in a good light that we nullify him, really. Yeah. Um, I think Rose always a danger. Um, of course, he, he, he gets a consolation goal uh, at the end of the game with, with a shot. I don't even think Senny Dieng or any of the Borough defenders are really expecting him to fire the shot. And in fairness to him, it's a, it's a great finish with his left foot that sort of bends inside that far corner. Um, but yeah, he, he's always a danger because of his pace and his his electricity flying forward. But yeah, they they they're not a really uh entertaining side to watch. And from a Middlesbrough perspective, obviously we won at Carroll Road last year, but it's not typically a ground where we perform well at. And I think I said it last week. Um, are we gonna? go to Carroll Road and it's going to be sort of routine borough and uh, get beat like we usually do there. 
or are we going to prove that last season wasn't a fluke? And yeah, we went there, got the job done. I, I have no qualms about Borough getting the three points, but yeah, I don't think that we were we were quite at our best on Tuesday night, but we were certainly good enough to beat Norwich. And I, I can't quite tell whether that's because they're so bad or whether we didn't whether we did just enough in the game to uh, to win it. But yeah, it it wasn't a, a very exciting game for the neutral. I'll say that. Yeah, it wasn't. And of course, obviously, we haven't even spoke about what was ultimately the winner, as I alluded to earlier. Um, I guess you've got to give plaudits to Michael Carrick here. Yeah? A, a little bit of a sort of unorthodox substitute, bringing on Sammy Silvera to replace Josh Coburn. I think a lot of fans were probably crying out for, for Morgan Rogers. Obviously, we'd hoped that Lai Laff would be available to for his pace more than anything to be up against Ben Gibson. He wasn't blessed with speed and obviously Shane Duffy who pretty much plays like he's got jeans and Timberland boots on most of the time. So um yeah, to bring on Sammy Silvera with his with his speed was a, I guess a bit of a masterstroke in the end. And the goal doesn't even come from sort of a, a well-worked move from a Middlesbrough perspective. Uh, the ball's played back to Dieng and he sort of just punts one long, really. And I think Duffy tries to clear it, nods it down to Silvera and then just retreats. I don't know why he doesn't go and try and basically acknowledge that Silva's running at him. And uh, and, and Silvera runs into the box. And in fairness, it's a great finish, actually. Silvera bends it into the far corner. And yeah, a, a big moment for Silvera because realistically, I looking back now apart from the Sundling game where of course he had a small impact in his strike that felt the force for the fourth goal but he hasn't really been involved all too much at all really even off the bench he, he struggled for minutes and it was interesting really in the fact that early on in the season everyone sort of looked at the recruitment and would have said well Silvera's the sort of one shining light where you could say yeah, he's looked probably the most promising. And and in fact, the last few weeks, obviously after Rogers' impact against Birmingham, Silvera's found minutes hard to come by. And then when things are going your way for Michael Carrick, he throws him on and obviously, as we said, proves to, to get the winning goal of the game. And yeah, a nice moment for him. Obviously, I still think he's probably a long way away from starting a game. Maybe he might get an opportunity in the Cup this week. But, uh, yeah, a, a substitute that most fans might have sort of frowned at a little bit when uh, when he was standing on the touchline. Um, obviously, the fourth official in this case actually manages to put up the right number. And, yeah, a, a, a nice moment for Sammy Silvera. Yeah, hopefully it um, plays a little bit into our favour where it's a confidence booster for him. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, Minutes have been hard to come by for him since Borough have gone on this run. Um, and, yeah, I think hopefully we'll sort of see a little bit more of him as time goes on, as Carrick is starting to bed these new forward players into the side and how we want to play going forward. But, yeah, it was certainly a, a really good finish from him. Uh, shifts it wide on his, uh, on his right foot. And, yeah, it's a really good finish in at that bottom corner. Um I think they're always nicer when they're right in the bottom corner and the keeper just doesn't move. Yeah. Uh, and uh yeah, 
he he sort of doesn't necessarily celebrate at first either, just spins around to his teammates and then he lets out a, an almighty roar, I think, and uh, you could sort of see the emotion and what it meant to him getting his uh, his first championship goal for Middlesbrough. So, yeah, really pleasing. Uh, as I mentioned, three points on the road at a ground where we don't usually do well. And, yeah, it sent us for a little, little while whilst uh, West Brom were finishing off their game, which kicked off at eight o'clock, sent us into the playoffs for about 15 minutes. But um, yeah, 20 points on the board, which is uh, is lovely. And to see us in the top half now, um, sort of, I think we're, we're probably in and around where we, where we kind of hoped we would be at the start of the season, in and around those playoff places. And yeah, we've we've done really well in this run to to sort of make up for lost time almost and pick up as many points as we have that have sort of catapulted us up the table and back into contention with uh, a lot of sides that had half decent starts. So yeah, really impressive. Um, six league wins in a row, and we uh we got to sort of see on uh, on Wednesday what Stoke would bring. Uh, of course, they had Leeds on, on Wednesday night on the box. And, uh, yeah, they won that one as well. Uh, last weekend, we spoke about their result against Sunderland. Beat Sunderland at the bet 365, then played Leeds on Wednesday. Won 1-0 after a Patrick Bamford missed penalty and a Pascal strike on goal. Leeds are falling apart again for a little while. Um, but, yeah, looking at the form seeing Stoke come off the back of two really, really good results in their case. I think everyone knew that this one was going to be a, a difficult test. The mountain injury list was uh, something that was spoken about prior to the game. Also, the fact that last year, Stoke were probably the best side to come to the Riverside in terms of a performance that they put in. Uh, we spoke last week how weird of a side that they really are that they can pretty much come to the Riverside last year, deserve all three points in the game, batter us for a good 45 minutes in the game, and then two weeks later get beat by QPR, who hadn't won in like 25. So they're, they're one of them sides, when they turn it on, they look really, really good. Um but they just don't turn it on very often. Uh, you just usually when they turn up at the Riverside, which they did yesterday. Yeah, I mean it was it was absolutely sort of written in Stoke's script almost that they would turn into Brazil as soon as they rock up at the Riverside. It, it at least seems that they do that on a consistent basis whenever they play Middlesbrough over the last few years, and. Listen, we'll we'll speak about the game as a whole, and obviously, the game was sort of in the eyes of many done and dusted after Stoke had got their second in that first half. But all credit deservedly will go to Stoke because of the result, obviously ending the winning run. But from a Middlesbrough perspective. I just felt yesterday that it almost felt one game too far in regards to 
fitness levels in regards to, as you say, the, the mountain injury list. And it you could almost feel in the stadium after about three minutes that it just felt like it was going to be one of them afternoons. It was sluggish to start with. Stoke. And look, you can use these cliches sometimes and I think that they get just like thrown around and they are they don't really sort of tell you too much. But as I said earlier, sometimes you have a feeling about a game and yesterday it just felt like Although Stoke were coached well and, and to be fair, they, they looked really, really good in terms of their front three, really dynamic. I thought the two wingers especially were fantastic in the first half. It just felt like Stoke were not more prepared for the game, but almost more up for it in terms of a, a freshness. And it sounds silly because we had theoretically, although it was probably spent travelling, an extra day to prepare for the game. And in reality, it just felt like we were probably, yeah, as I say, it, it just felt like one game too far in the run. And ultimately that that proved to be the case. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, as you mentioned, sluggish. Um, balls going astray at times early on. It was slow. Really, I, I mean, I know Middlesbrough can be slow at the best of times with the build-up play, which usually can work in our favour. But yesterday, particularly, it was it was uh, quite just pitiful to watch in the way that Stoke set up. The press was high. And in the first half, I actually felt that we, we, we played out that press quite well. Um, we, we did play through the press quite well. Um, but once we had... The ball to given to Matt Crooks in that big massive open space um between their midfield and defensive line. He had Josh Colburn ahead of him with McNally and Rose just having to mark him between the pair of them. So look, it, it was it was a relatively comfortable afternoon from Stoke. Um that we didn't really threaten too much. Um, we were 2-0 down by the time that we did threaten uh, as well. I think we could, I'm not going to get carried away in terms of um, the results or the performance in terms of, yeah, look, we, we looked a bit tired. Um, a few players in particular looked like you, you could tell that they've been playing full tilt for the last few weeks. But Conceding a goal from a corner in the first 10 minutes of a game, conceding a goal from a corner full stop is incredibly poor. Uh, Rose gets the run on Matt Crooks. Awful. Really, really poor. Um, and yeah, I think it's been sort of mentioned that the ball's hammered straight at De Jong. I don't think that he can do too much about it. I think even if he parries it, it it's probably going to get rebounded in. Um, but yeah, conceding from corners, incredibly poor. Uh, and the second goal, really, we we I mean, from the first goal, we didn't really show any reaction. Really, things continued in the same vein, and uh, Ben Pearson comes off. Uh, 
after about half an hour, Thompson comes on and he sends two of our midfielders for an absolute pie in 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 Stoke's half, switches the play, it gets switched back out. Daniel Johnson plays it down the line. Leris comes in, one touch, bang, goal, game done. It, it really did feel like game done from half an hour into the game. Um, Borishord, a little bit of a reaction following the second goal, probably thought these could put three or four past us here if we don't wake up. Um, Corburn hits the bar. I think if that one goes in, then possibly the game changes a little bit back into our favour. Um, but yeah, going into the second half just quickly, I don't want to skip through too quickly, but in the second half, you're hoping for a reaction and that there really wasn't any uh, at all. I, th- I felt that in the second half, um, as I mentioned in the first, we played out from the press well. In the second half, we 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 were awful playing out um, beyond their press. There was multiple opportunities where Stoke robbed us of the ball on the edge of our own box, where genuinely it could have been five if they had the if if they put the chances away. Um, but yeah, a, a massively off afternoon. Uh, for Borough yesterday, um, I can't really remember too much of the game because it just felt like the game passed me by. Yeah, just being sat there because the what there wasn't a whole lot from a Middlesbrough persuasion that actually happened in the game where I was actually really impressed. Um, okay, when Rogers came on, he drove forwards at times. He has that effort that we 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 carved a chance out well in in stoppage time where Engel crosses from that left hand side and Rogers gets a shot at goal in that near post and Bonham makes a really good save. But honestly, it was a a really really poor game to watch uh, from a Middlesbrough perspective. And in all honesty, I was glad it was over when uh, when the referee blew the full time whistle because. It it honestly in in the nicest way possible it felt like a waste of an afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Look, it was um, it was a hard watch at times. It really was, and I think you you summed it up perfectly when you said that you know in the first half there was a couple of times where actually we sort of managed to beat their press, and you thought actually there's there's quite a lot of space for for Crooks to run into here and he did a couple of times in fairness and Jones manages to sort of break alongside him and, and you're sort of hoping for a little bit of magic between those two on, on the right flank. Obviously, we know the relationship that them two have on the pitch and they they just weren't really able to. Jones sort of struggled to grow into the game. Ender Stevens, a very sort of traditional physical fullback, I thought probably had the beating of Jones, to be honest. And actually, it was frustrating almost because early on in the game, Jones, through just sheer pace, beats Stevens, knocks it past him, old school winger, knocks it past him and runs past him. And I think his crosses uh, cut out and we get a corner from it. And actually, that was the only time for the full game that he did that. Um, look, Stoke, again, credit to them. 
Haxvanovic, uh, the the boy that was at Celtic, I thought was really really good. Showed everything that we lacked yesterday: strength, um, power, pace on the counter. And Dwight Gale, I must say, he's getting on a little bit. Chris Wilder wanted him last season, but my goodness, um, he, he certainly showed yesterday that he's not a spent force yet because. He gave Dale Fry and Paddy McNair an absolute torrid afternoon, constantly chasing loose balls. His link-up play with Stokes midfielders and wingers was really good, I thought. Perhaps probably should have scored a goal early on in the game where one got clipped over Fry's head. He just doesn't quite manage to get his shot off. And yeah, um, Stoke did ever so well, really, to, to not capitalise on a Middlesbrough performance that you sort of would have come to expect over this run, but just capitalise on what they had to play against. And in yesterday's case, it was a, a reasonably poor Middlesbrough performance. The obvious sort of one that everyone went to as soon as the full-time whistle went yesterday was, but yeah, we missed Hayden Hackney. And we did. I mean, it's it's a fair comment. Look, Hayden Hackney, I think you told me yesterday that he'd only missed one, one game perhaps since Michael Carrick had come through the doors. And it just goes to show what an absolutely integral part of our team he's, he's become now. And it's, I think we spoke earlier on this season about that Hayden Hackney was producing wonderful performances fairly consistently last season, but he almost wasn't that sort of main player in the team. You know, you had the likes of Akpom, you had the likes of Archer, Giles. McGree, Ramsey, all of those types of players where they got the headlines almost. Whereas this season, you really, really do notice if Hackney's, even if he has a spell in a game where he's quiet, Middlesbrough struggle to have that driving force in midfield. And yesterday I felt that Howson and Barlassa were almost too similar in the fact that they just wanted to play square passes to each other. Um, Barlassa, in fairness to him, a number of times in the second half, tries to go and pick the ball up off Senny Dieng and Stoke quickly realised that that's exactly what we were trying to do. Barlassa picks it up on the edge of the box, turns and tries to beat their press. Once they'd clicked on that, that's what we were trying to do. As you say, there was a couple of times where it, it just gets cut out. And if they're a little bit more sort of, well, basically, if they punish us from the positions that they are in and there was a number of good opportunities for them, it really could have been four or five, really. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting too downbeat. I'm not overreacting at all. We did miss Hackney, of course. That's just yesterday that his suspension was for, for five yellow cards. Um, so, thankfully, he's going to be back. And, look, I, I almost, like you say, it passed me by a little bit, but I almost want to forget it. And I know it sounds a bit daft on a podcast, but it's one of them performances as a supporter where you just think, put it straight at the back of my mind. And I think it's not really in Michael Carrick's style to do so, but even after the game, he said yesterday, it was just one of those afternoons where you just don't get going. There was never a time in the game where we built up a head of steam or built up any momentum, really. And I thought, we, if we get one here, we might get back into it. We just never look convincing. Obviously, there was a number of substitutes introduced. Rogers, I felt, done himself a lot of favours, actually, in his performance off the bench yesterday. Um, 
every time he got the ball, really, he, he, he turned and sometimes, yes, he would give it away, but he looked to go and try and make things happen, try and spark the performance into life. And obviously, as you say, it is unlucky. A great save by Jack Bonham down to his right. Denies him getting a goal off the bench. And yeah, look, it's credit to Stoke. I'm not discrediting them at all. They come with a game plan. They were very, very good in the first half, I thought. And look, it's a game that ends the winning streak. And it's disappointing, but... I don't look at it and I, I, I didn't come away from the stadium yesterday and think, dear God, I mean, I'm, I'm really concerned. You put Hayden Hatley back in that team in the next league game, Tuesday night, you'll probably come back into the team and I think we look a whole different outfit. As I say, I think yesterday, especially, there was a number of players, and you mentioned it as well, where you looked at the performances when it was getting to sort of 70, 80 minutes. And as much as they probably really wanted to try and get things going and, and be on the front foot and break some lines and, and really push us forward, it almost just looked or slapped of a team where they probably had just gone, as I said, that one game too far. And with out those injuries it allows you to rotate or introduce a little bit more quality earlier on in the game. And yeah, yesterday, I, I think it really proved quite costly, the fact that we didn't have those options to rotate, uh, even from the start of the game, or even just introducing subs early on in the game. And yeah, it was uh, disappointing, but not the end of the world. Is probably the way I look at yesterday. Yeah, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree with you, Chris. Um the only thing is with that midfield too that I think was apparent yesterday is both individually fine when they're alongside Hayden Hackney, but can't play together. Really yeah. can't play together. It was very similar, aren't they? Very very similar and yesterday just passive, really. Um I think it's I, I should say I've said that they're very similar there, perhaps not in terms of play style, but in terms of they both lack that Hayden Hackney engine where he can pick the ball up and drive his team forward. They're not the type of players, obviously, Johnny Housen is a more defensive midfielder. Dan Barlasa tries to break lines, a bit more of a direct passer. They're not that, in terms of their play styles, they're not similar, but in terms of what they lack, that what Hackney brings, passive. Yeah, I think I think that yesterday you, you saw two midfielders in there that both obviously Housen when Hackney's in the team, Housen sits in there, likes to break up play, and Barlasa is a player that sits in there and you sort you sort of look at Barlasa and he he pretty plays pretty much within the centre circle, pretty much, and just plays passes either side, plays passes through the lines, but is not very likely to pick up the ball and drive forward with it at all. And Housen's the same. He's he's not he's not that player anymore. He used to be that would pick the ball up and drive through the lines, and that's what we missed yesterday. Uh with the loss of Hackney. Um, Even Empo yeah. have 
midfielders. I just felt it was a bit slow, a bit sort of pedestrian, very sideways and square. Whereas Hackney, even if he's not driving, it's a touch and pass. Can I play forward? Can I keep things ticking? Just that constant player that introduces a tempo of the way that we play. And yesterday, as you say, we just really lacked that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. He's a, he's a player, when he's in the side, you can completely rely on him pretty much to set the tempo for the way that we're the way that we're going to play on that given afternoon. If he want if we wanted to slow it down, he'd do that. If we want to speed it up, he'd do that. Um and yesterday it was apparent that he was out the side. And yeah, I, I can't wait to have him back, really, because uh yeah, as mentioned, yesterday afternoon was a painful watch, but we have a busy week and it's a busy week in terms of travelling as well. It'll be interesting to know actually what the team are going to do in terms of possibly staying down the country. But, I think yeah. I, I, might be, I might be wrong in saying this, but I think <laughs> I heard Michael Carrick yesterday, although I was sort of like daydreaming a little bit on my way home yesterday because... After a defeat, you always do. You want to hear his every word after a win, after a defeat. You sort of just rest your head on the car window and just think, I just want to be home now. Um, But yeah, I'm sure he mentioned flying, so I don't know if they plan on just flying there for the Tuesday night and flying back. I really don't know. Obviously, of course, it would have been quite ridiculous if he'd gone down on a coach because that's a full day of travel in itself there, well, two days really, but whether they choose to fly back, I'm not 100% sure. I didn't catch that. He may have mentioned it, he may not have, so. No, I'd I'd have guessed that there would be flying, but just whether they'd stay down there all week, possibly, to to just negate all that travelling, but yeah, of course, we are talking about the week of all weeks for for ground hoppers, I suppose. Um, it's one that you don't usually get, and I'm gutted that I won't be doing it myself because of university and work. But Exeter away on the Tuesday, Plymouth away on the Saturday, like that is sublime for for fans that are trying to tick off stadiums. Because, I mean, I don't think we've actually played Exeter ever in our history, so that's one thing. Uh, and we haven't played Plymouth in a good ten years, I don't think. Since I the feel like racking my brains, the last time we played Plymouth, we were wearing that really. I love the kit, that really, really bright blue away yeah, kit. Boys one, yeah. First season back in the championship after relegation, and dare I say it, Gordon Strachan was in the Middlesbrough dugout that day. You are one two nil, I think. And and also, if I really rack my brains, I'm fairly certain that a certain Yannick Balassi was in Plymouth's team that day. I know that I know definitely Jamie Mackey was at Plymouth at right. the time because yeah, he, he uh I remember the home weirdly remember the home game, like actually remember being at the home game in that season, and I'm sure he scored for I, them against honestly. That is that is really testing my memory. That one, I'm, I'm I couldn't give you a yes or no on that just right now. To be honest, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he did, and I remember their kit as well. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, sort of had like a white trim on it, but obviously they were, they were famous for the the Ginsters 
uh, sponsor at the time, which they've, they've, they've binned off now, which is a shame. But um, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, Exeter, Plymouth, all in one week. Mental that that that, that was uh, just fallen the way it has. But uh, yeah, it was quite typical when the uh, the League Cup draw was going on that Borough were last out the draw and you could see the last two teams and I was just going, please be at home, please be at home. And uh, no, God uh, God picked Exeter away St. James's Park on a Tuesday night. Um, but yeah, the, what a, a strange thing. But Exeter, at the time of the... Last Carabao Cup round, they were on a ridiculous run of form. I think they were top of League One at the time. And they were flying high. They beat Luton in the last round of the Cup, although it was a, a much-changed Luton side. And, yeah, it's been a, a little bit of a fall-off since then. Exeter now lie 17th in the League One table. And... Regarding the form, since that Luton game, they'd lost every single game apart from this weekend, yesterday, where they played Lincoln at home and they drew 1-1 with a, a late goal that got them a point. So, Very much quite the opposite to us, actually. Yeah, literally the complete opposite. We obviously won pretty much every game. <laughs> apart from this weekend, and they'd lost every game. So, yeah, very strange. But, yeah, obviously, I think that form goes out the window a little bit uh, for this one because it's a, a massive game for them in terms of wanting to progress in the Cup. They've got a home tie against a side that are in the division above them. And they'll be looking for another scalp in the competition to take them into the quarterfinals. Of course, it's the same for us, though. We want to go into the quarterfinals as well. I think what you will see, though, they'll probably be full strength. I think we will see some changes. Um, you saw a lot of players the other day look tired. And, of course, we have a, f a few players that have just come back from injury. I think I'm... Anthony Dyke Steele will be one. Bangura is another that hasn't had minutes since coming back from that injury that he sustained in the Blackburn game. I think that we'll we'll, we'll definitely see changes. I think Silvera and Rogers possibly will be looking to to get a start. Maybe even Gilbert obviously made his championship debut uh, in the last sort of ten minutes yesterday. But yeah. I think that those players will be hoping for minutes, but I'm not quite sure that Michael Carrick will change things all too much, though. As we saw with the Bradford game, he did go relatively strong in that. And my honest hope is that the game runs as smoothly as the Bradford game did. Uh, it's always difficult when you go and play lower league sides in the competitions um, because obviously they're, they're going to be up for it trying to get that scalp. But that Bradford game was as proficient as professional as you come really in terms of going away to a a lower league side in in the cup. Uh, it was a very professional performance. Go there, get the job done. Don't necessarily have to get out of second gear. 
I hope that that's the case on Tuesday night once again. We're talking about Middlesbrough getting to the sort of final round. <laughs> it's never, ever going to be that easy ever again. That was sort of almost an outlier in the typical Borough tag, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I do agree with what you're saying. It would be very, very much time to perfection and also just a nice evening in the cup if we can just go there and produce a similar performance to what we did at Bradford. But as you did also say, I'm not so sure if, if Carrick will rotate too heavily. And I think given the result on Saturday especially, look, we, we spoke about what exit I see this as. It's an opportunity for a scalp in terms of playing a team in the league above them but it's also an opportunity to get to the quarterfinals of the league cup and it's the same for us you know look I'll hold my hands up you can go back and listen to all the podcasts and I am a self-proclaimed absolute fair weather cup fan I said if we get into the later rounds I'll be bang up for it if we go out in the first round that we're playing in I, I really couldn't care less and that's exactly the stage that we're approaching Nathan so look I'm I'm hoping that we get to the quarterfinals I'm also praying that if we do progress we don't play Newcastle but <laughs> look I mean one one trip to St James's Park is enough in a season that's we can all agree on that Nathan my nerves could not handle that um but yeah, I, I don't think Michael Carrick's going to view this as an opportunity to just completely rotate his squad. Although he, he definitely, we know now that Michael Carrick completely trusts his squad. I don't think he'll view sort of putting in the likes of Silvera and Rogers as wholesale changes. I think he views it as, I'm going to put a team out that's strong enough to go and compete. But for example, in, a name like Matt Clark, I don't think you'll throw him in. And although... Dale Fry and Paddy McNair would probably thank him for a little bit of a rest. I don't I don't think that Michael Carrick will do that. I think he'll want to progress. We'll obviously see Tom Glover come back into the team. He's our cup goalkeeper. And I think given the run of games that Josh Coburn's had and, and the fact that Latilaf missed the Norwich game through illness, I think that's a guaranteed swap in terms of Latilaf will probably start the game. But yeah, it's still a game that Michael Carrick will absolutely be looking to put out a team where, you know, it, if you, let's say, for example, if you put it out in the championship, you might bat out the eyelid at a couple of players, but you certainly wouldn't say that it's not good enough to go and nick a win in the championship at all. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, but also, Nathan, it's, it's an opportunity to get the quarterfinals. I mean, listen, if, if it goes the way that I'm hoping, we will obviously progress. Manchester United will beat Newcastle on Wednesday night and then we can go to Old Trafford and just knock them out on penalties again because, I mean, that's just sort of run of the mill over the last few years. So, uh, yeah, that would be the perfect scenario. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, after Tuesday night, Nathan, we've, <laughs> we're down the other end of the country again, aren't we? Yeah, they're neighbours. Um, although it's about an hour's drive. Um, yeah, what a weird place Cornwall is in Devon. Um, Plymouth Argyle away, the longest trip of the season. And I think that this one is a game that's possibly 
one where some fans that aren't necessarily aware of Plymouth too much will will see as a, a game where Middlesbrough should just go there and and, and and routinely win, I suppose. It's not going to be the case. I can tell you that for free. Uh, they're a very good side, very well drilled. Um, actually, as Wilder was sacked last year at Borough, I was looking for Stephen Schumacher really to come in. Um really impressive uh League One campaign last season uh with Argyle. Of course took over from from Ryan Law um when he departed to, to go to Preston. Um and I think the best way that I can sort of praise Argyle is you see everyone currently going up in arms about Ipswich's rise to the top of the championship. Plymouth were first in League One last season. Centurions. Centurions in League One. Ipswich didn't do that. Um, And Argyle uh, last season beat beat Plymouth, uh, beat Ipswich in one of the games and drew in the other. Uh, Of course, they played each other at the weekend. And that seemed to be a pretty good game. I haven't seen the highlights, but Ipswich won that 3-2. There was a daft on goal that I've seen the clip from, uh, which was Mumba, which looked rather unfortunate as the ball was trickling through to the goalkeeper and he's tried to dive in front of it and it's just gone in. Um, what I also did see was that Plymouth had been robbed of a definite penalty. It looked absolutely nailed on, but Ipswich have seen two things this week. One, uh, in midweek at Bristol City, where the ball rolled across the goal line in the last minute, and they've seen two bits of uh, fortune in the Plymouth game, so it just goes to show when your luck is in, your luck's in. Um, But Plymouth, yeah, they got off to a relatively good start, actually, uh, in the Championship, but have sort of levelled out a little bit to where I think everyone thought they would be, which is down that bottom half. Um, But they've certainly got dangerous players in that side. Ryan Hardy up front. Morgan Whitaker's probably the star man, which I can't quite believe, considering I watched him at Lincoln a few years ago and he was absolutely pony. (laughs) But, yeah, um, it'll be a difficult test. It really will be. Um, And they've got a really good home record as well. Um, down there, I suppose a uh, a lot of the the chat about it uh, about Plymouth's home record last season was sides just don't like travelling all that way, and then when they get there, they get turned over by a really good side. But I think it it, it does sort of underplay that they they are actually a good side, and it's not just because of the travel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it'll be a difficult game. Um, and honestly, I'd probably take a point down there. I think it it's that whole sort of you win your home games and and draw your aways and you'll be all right type thing. But yeah, I'd I'd, I'd take a point away at Plymouth on on Saturday. Yeah, it's a uh, an interesting one and. You know, up until uh, up until 
this weekend anyway, you thought, well, we're down sort of his area of the world or certainly where he lives. Neil Warnock might pop by and watch a few of his old sides and, you know, and enjoy taking in some football and, you know, I'm sure he would enjoy that. But by all accounts, he's probably going to have a new job by the end of next week. So he definitely won't be in attendance for either games because there's now a handful of championship jobs that are available. And of course, one of those jobs, QPR, one of his old teams. I mean, Nathan, I, I don't want to bring the sort of morale down of the podcast, but can we just touch on the fact that QPR's last win under Gareth Ainsworth, who have been just... Let's be honest, they've absolutely stunk the championship out now for probably six months. Oh, a year, probably. Well, a year, a year. Yeah, yeah, even longer. Since Be- uh, since, since Beale left, which I think was a year ago the other day. Yeah, well, anyway, they've stunk the place out for long enough now. And Gareth Ainsworth last win in charge of, of uh, Queen's Park Rangers, of course, come at the Riverside. So despite the fact that he's probably a little bit too old to be rocking around in cowboy boots and tight jeans, at least he's got that one over on us. Um, so... Yeah, farewell, Gareth. Um, I'm not sure you'll be getting another championship job anytime soon. But yeah, Nathan, um, I think probably the thought of him pulling out this symbol after Dazelle had smashed one into the top corner. And for audio listeners, um, I have just pulled the sort of... The ACDC rock-on. Rock-on symbol. Um which is, as I say, what, what Gareth Ainsworth produced after Dazelle had smashed one in the top corner against us at the Riverside. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the best place to leave it on because I, I don't really want to talk any more, longer or any more about that horrendous day earlier on this season. Uh, but yeah, Nathan, obviously a, a long week of travelling and we should say, look, we aren't doing it. I'm, tra- I'm actually travelling to Tenerife, so I'll be watching the Plymouth game from Tenerife. So I guess that's, I don't deserve any credit for that at all. All of the credit should be going to anyone, let alone if you're making one of the trips this week. If you're making both, then I don't know if you can hear that audio, see that audio listeners, or if you've heard that, but I have give a round of applause there because it is quite phenomenal. I mean, two, two sellouts from that distance is, well, it's unheard of, isn't it really? And, when when I see the likes of Stoke, who have had a three-hour journey yesterday and brought a 1,000 fans being applauded for their away following, it absolutely just puts them to shame when you've got Middlesbrough travelling all over the country and taking these ridiculous following uh, followings, I should say. I mean, incredible. The best away fans in the world. It's remarkable. I, I can't praise anyone enough for even doing one of them, let alone two. So I just want to get that in there before the end of the podcast. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous mileage, really. Um, especially when you consider Norwich was last week, yeah, uh, on, on on a Tuesday night, and the next away game following Plymouth is Bristol, which is it's sort of down that neck of the woods. Obviously, not as far by well any margin, really. It, it's it's quite um quite a distance less, but still, it's it's a mission. And yeah, um, 
round of applause and props to anyone going down there. I do know that it is half term. So anyone that's going down there and doing a, a full week in Cornwall, fair play to you because uh, that is some shout and I wish I was down there as well. But hey-ho, there we are. Yeah, I hope the weather's all right, actually, because, I mean, we, we all know of Neil Warnock's barbecues. If he hasn't managed to get himself in a job, maybe. I mean, we've had him on the podcast. I can maybe send a message in his way and, and try and get him to put on a barbecue for a couple of thousand Borough fans. A couple of thousand? Bloody hell. It's mental to think that a couple of thousand all accounts, Borough fans are that way. House, but by all accounts, from players that have been to his house, I think he's got enough room to definitely uh, put up a few thousand Middlesbrough fans. He's got his own miniature golf course going on from stories that I've heard. So, yeah, I mean, maybe see if anyone's got <laughs> number directly, then get in touch. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm sure he'll have a job by the end of the week anyway, as we say, Nathan. Uh, yeah, I think that wraps us up, to be honest. And look, the winning run's come to an end, but there's been so many positives to take. And I think I said it in the last podcast as well. If you'd have offered me this situation following half-time at Hillsborough, I'd have just given you everything that I own. So, yeah, it's been quite the turnaround. I'm sure that this isn't just going to be the beginning of a complete slump back down the table. At least I hope not anyway. But uh, yeah, um, not too much of a negative one. Still smiles on our faces. And hopefully, as we say, it can be a productive week full of plenty of uh, progression, plenty of, I say plenty of points, at least three points, and also uh, plenty plenty of miles for those Middlesbrough fans. So fair play again. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully this time next week we can reconvene here on the podcast this time next week. Cup of tea in hand. Borough through the next round of the next round of the cup in the quarterfinals against Mansfield at the Riverside or Port Vale. We'll take your pick. Um we'll have Newcastle knocked out. We'll go to Plymouth next Saturday. Win in any way how I don't care. It can be a goal off Neil Warnock's backside in the top corner, not bothers. Three points next week. And yeah, that will be absolutely perfect. But this is Middlesbrough we're talking about, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you've always got to sort of prefix all of those statements with this is Middlesbrough Football Club we're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely the case, Nathan. Uh, but yes, from me and Nathan, uh, as ever, thank you ever so much for watching and listening to this week's podcast. On YouTube, please do subscribe, like the video, give us a comment. Let us know if you are making the journey to both games and we'll send you a thumbs up or just give you another round of applause through emojis anyway because you deserve it um we're currently on 442 subscribers it's not our pre- preferred formation um i'm more of a 4231 man myself but um yeah we're a little bit off sort of um four figures anyway um but yeah please please do subscribe if you enjoyed the podcast and same goes for audio listeners subscribe to your audio platforms to be notified when we do drop these podcasts at least once a week. And yes, as always, Nathan, thank you much. Thank you much. God, we really do need to end the podcast. I can't even get my words out anymore. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much if you've watched and listened. And that has been another episode of the Brock List Podcast.